Getting tickets online can be far too complicated. With hundreds of sites and varying levels of reliability, it's hard to know who to trust. That's why SeatGeek is the way to go. SeatGeek pulls millions of tickets into one place so you can easily find the seats you want for the price you're willing to pay. There's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. Every purchase is fully guaranteed so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. Make SeatGeek your go-to ticket source for everything from sports and concerts to comedy and theater. I actually have the SeatGeek app on my phone by far. The easiest way I've found to shop for tickets. Use it often whenever you need tickets for anything. You want to go see the Lakers. You want to go see the Clippers. You want to see the Chargers here in Los Angeles. The Rams, a lot of good teams to see in LA. You can use SeatGeek for all of that. Best of all, all my listeners here will get $10 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code USC today. That's promo code USC for $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek, life's an event. We have the tickets. Hey, Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello! Trojan fans, welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Tuesday. we got to talk some USC football. The early signing period is tomorrow, December 19th. It's got a lot going on around the USC program. A new assistant coach announcement to talk about. We're going to do all of that with a couple of my favorite people. I got Keely Yor. Follow on Twitter at Keely is my name in studio. Hello, Keely. Hello. And I got Dan Weber on the line uh, over Skype. Hello, Dan. How are you? Doing good. Doing, can't wait to get back into, into things a little bit more uh, uh, today, tomorrow, with, uh, with the early signing date. That kind of gets us uh, you know, a little closer to the program, a little more uh, maybe some questions answered, a little more questions that we get to ask, that kind of thing. So it's good. Yeah, should be, uh, should be interesting. We haven't heard from Clay Helton since the Notre Dame game. So we're going to be able to talk to him tomorrow uh, at on campus uh, after all the announcements. Uh, the signings are announced during the day. The USC uh, social media team will put those out or they'll put them out on their website. Then we'll at 3 p.m. Pacific, we'll have an opportunity to talk to Clay Helton. And, uh, but we love talking to you first. We're going to talk to you guys about everything you're concerned about with this USC football team. If you want to email us, that'd be great. Podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address, or if you'd like to call or text, we got both of those today. You can uh, call or text. The number is 424-254-9141. Please subscribe on iTunes. Leave us some positive feedback and a five-star rating. That's always great stuff. And uh, we're available on all the different podcast platforms. If you find some some platform somewhere that doesn't have us, the Peristyle Podcast, we've been 11, around 11 years as a podcast. It's like really old for podcasts. So we should be everywhere. If not, just email me and I'll make sure we get listed on there as well. And uh, we got, yeah, we got a lot to talk about. we got a bunch of questions. The one thing though, and I, I mentioned Clay Helton's going to be available, Keely and Dan, tomorrow. I did inquire if any of the new assistant coaches were going to be available. And 
Uh, I was told, no, they are not just clay. Um, and then, you know, inquiring more, we did hear from Cliff Kingsbury a little bit yesterday. He did some sort of a radio tour. Uh, not with the local media. He did, uh, he, I think he did Mason in Ireland. He did like local radio. I don't know if he did Petrus and Money or not, but I know he did at least uh, Mason in Ireland for a little bit and uh, got to hear some of that. Um, but not available to us. But I, I'm sure you guys heard at least some of what he said. I put up a story. He did Dan Patrick early in the morning. I think it was the first time we were hearing from him. Um, but you know, Dan or Keely, we'll start with either one of you. Dan, we'll, I guess with you. What, what did you think of what Cliff Kingsbury had to say first? Yeah, I think he, he's awfully good. I mean, you do realize uh, what, it ma- what it means <clears throat> to have a guy who's been a head coach. And he, he was he was really good with uh, – with Dan Patrick, I mean, he came across uh, just, and you could just tell they're kind of a, you know, they can be kind of a snarky group with uh, uh, whatever the Danettes or whatever they call them, and 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 all of that. And you could tell uh, they really liked how uh, you know Kingsbury handled himself. I thought they were, uh, I thought he did himself a lot of good, and did USC a lot of good. I, I thought he was, uh, he was, uh, that was very impressive. I just think the thing I I keep hearing from him is. His, he really understands what his opportunity at USC is. I mean, he, you know, he may say, well, I haven't studied all the quarterback film and all that. I think he knows if he, you know, what he did with what he had at Texas Tech, what he could be able to do, and what kind of impact that will have if he does it at USC. So I uh, thought it was really, I, I didn't hear Mason and I, but I, I, I certainly heard uh, the Dan Patrick, and I thought he, uh, he was really good. What about you, Keely? Agreed. I think I think it was really impressive. Just you can tell he's gonna do well with the LA media. Um, he seemed very comfortable with that. I thought it was interesting how close he said he was to joining the Ram staff. Um, so it's nice for if you're a USC fan to know that you won out in the end to get a guy like Cliff on the staff. Yeah. See, my my take on that is he was being nice to the Rams. He wasn't close to going with the Rams. They don't exactly have a place for him. Uh you know, if, if you're if you're the offensive guy on a staff where the head coach is the offensive guy, um, I'm I'm just not sure. I think he was being very uh, polite and 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 was flattered that you know the Rams wanted to talk to him and all that. But uh, I don't think it was one of those. Oh, do I go to USC? Do I go to the Rams? I I, I just I, I just find that probably not uh, persuasive that that actually happened. That that there was kind of a a spot for him there that he felt like he would be able to show what he could do, which is, you know, with talent. And, and I think he felt like, you know, I shown what I can do without a lot of, you know, real, real good. talent. Obviously if he gets a Patrick Mahomes, you know, he's, he's really good, but, uh, but I just don't know that the Rams uh, fit his, I just see him as probably wanting to be a head coach in the next couple of years in college. And I don't know that, Making a Rams move would have uh, uh, would have uh, you know fulfilled that you know maybe career path, but it's nice that he keeps saying that. Uh, I think that's a good thing for USC that he says that. Yeah, and I don't think it was a if he was offered like the offensive coordinator position of the. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a different. You know, yeah, yeah. He was an analyst or something there, so that's. Well, I, mean, that's here, I, I will tell you this: having worked for the Bengals, there were a lot of people who came up through the Bengals who would always say they would move on in the NFL and they would get jobs with the guy who, who the original offensive coordinator with the Bengals was Bill Walsh. 
And then he would hire these guys uh, with the 49ers. And you had one after another, and they kept saying, I'm Bill Walsh's offensive coordinator. And you'd say, no, you're not. You're his <laughs> clipboard carrier. He's the offensive coordinator. Yeah. And I think at the Rams, McVay's going to stay. I don't care what title they gave you. McVay's going to stay as the guy who's – it's his offense. Yeah. No, I, yeah, I think you're right there. Um, it, you know, there was, I think there was real opportunities for him to be a coordinator in the NFL, but it, you know, I, I felt like his career path, he still wanted to be, like you said, a head coach in college. This is the best opportunity for that. And I know John Ireland asked him on the Mason and Ireland interview about the reports from Jay Glazer that he was uh, like a, like the NFL still could be coming after him even as a head coach, which seems doesn't really pass the smell test for me if you're you know, five and seven at Texas Tech and you're fired just because Patrick Mahomes is lighting up the league. You want to hire his old head coach who, you know, didn't do a really, you know, obviously didn't do everything he needed to do to keep his job at Texas Tech. But it, he, he was asked about that specifically. And I thought, you know, his answers were, you know, pretty good whenever those kind of t- subjects came up, really talking about the opportunity at USC, the talent and all that kind of stuff. So, I, you know, you don't know what's in his head, but it didn't seem like, that was something that he was really going to consider. It is a great opportunity. I mean, you could walk into USC with all the talent, and he looks at the team. And he's like, "How the heck are they five and seven? Like, I could, I could yeah. get the nine wins in my sleep, you know, like with one arm tied behind my back." So I feel like you're right, Dan. I feel like he looks at this as a great opportunity because maybe because how poorly underperformed this roster was in 2018, right. they they shouldn't have to do that in 2019. Well, I mean, if they just take. I mean, the, the schedules, I think, are comparable to Texas Tech and US, USC. Uh, he averaged almost 40 points a game with no skill people you can even name and three different quarterbacks because of injuries, uh, none of whom had played before, uh, and averaged almost 40 points a game. You know, he plays Texas 41-34, you know, and loses a shootout to Oklahoma State. You know, the kinds of games that, you know, I mean, how does he score 34 points against Texas and USC scores 13? It's just it's nuts. I mean, there's just no, no way, uh, you know, that, that that should happen. So yeah, I think he's a really smart guy and I think he looked at it. I think he really recruited USC to be honest. I don't, you know, I, I it's great that USC put together everything that it took to get him, but I think he got USC. I think he was thinking, where do I want to go? You know, and I'm in Lubbock, Texas now, and, and there's no future here. Where's the next spot I'd like to go? I think he picked the one place, you know, in, in college football that he would immediately, you know, have an immediate impact, and it's L.A. And, you know, and, and people I don't think who kind of got negative about USC football who are close to the program uh, don't realize if you grew up out in the rest of the country, USC is a pretty big deal in terms of college football. You know, I mean, from the Coliseum to the uniforms to all the great players to still the most players in the NFL. Uh, there's a lot, you know, that a, that a guy, you know, that grew up in Texas can look at USC and say, man, if I got a chance there, I could do some real damage. And uh, I think that's kind of what he decided, uh, which is why I think he's a smart guy and he figured it out. And, he, you know, he, he made his way here. The uh, the funniest part, at least of the Dan Patrick, uh, and they they were talking about him being like the ultimate bro guy after the the interview and stuff. But when you know Dan asked him about uh, using his charm 
for like recruiting and stuff. And he's like, yeah, you know, if it, if there's an opportunity there, he would like if, uh, you know, if, if he knew one of like the mothers of the prospect was a huge fan of his, you know, <laughs> if he knew that he would say, I don't know. You didn't see, you didn't read. No, but it's such a unique position to be like, she's a fan of me. Yeah. Know? Like he knew, like if she was a big fan, he would say something like, Oh, I see where your son gets his good looks. Like that was the line he used. And, uh, and you know, that usually a lot of times recruiting can go through the mom. There's a decision maker. Usually the moms a lot of times, sometimes it's a dad. It depends. But uh, I thought that was pretty funny. And that's why he should be in Los Angeles and not in Lubbock. You know, I mean, that's exactly why, you know, Cliff Kingsbury isn't, he's like an LA guy already, you know, and he hasn't even, you know, almost been here. And uh, I thought one of the, one of the Dan S mentioned that, they think he used the word dude four times yesterday <laughs> on the show. Well, come on. I mean, that's like, you know, they loved it. I mean, you know, you can't, you can't go wrong if you can use the word dude um, in your normal conversation. Yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty good. You know, we have, well, let's, we probably have some other Kingsbury questions too, because we have other stuff we want to get to, but I don't, we could, you want to jump into one? Sure. Okay. So here's um, this was actually for Tunnel Vision. We forgot to put this up on Thursday, but it's a voicemail that they left for us in Tunnel Vision. But oh. it's but we'll uh, yeah. So I'm sorry about that, but we'll play it here and then uh, get your thoughts, Dan. Since it's Kingsbury, we'll keep on topic and then we'll talk about the other things next. Here you go. This is Curtis from Moreno Valley. Kingsbury had a tight end that caught a hundred passes one season. He just put him at wide receiver. He'll put our talented tight ends at receiver and throw the ball to him. I heard Shotgun say that the tight end's role would be diminished. Not so fast, my friend. <laughs> this guy uses talent at wide receiver and running back. He's going to get the ball to him. Even if they're tight end size, he's going to put him at receiver. So we should get the best tight ends in the nation, the best receivers in the nation, the best running backs in the nation, everybody that wants to go pro and score a lot of points. Come to SC. Curtis from Moreno Valley. Yeah, Curtis, I think that's the attractive part of Kingsbury is basically he does uh, – what can my players do? How can they you know, affect the game? How can they put points on the board – and if he's got that tight end that he can flex and, uh, and you know, run him as a, uh, you know, instead of four wide receivers, you run three wide receivers in a, in a big tight end. Um, and, you know, he's got to be able to run the field, uh, got to be able to move, got to be able to obviously catch the ball. I mean, for example, if miraculously, let's say Daniel, a modern baby, uh, you know, heals up and he's available next year, he would kill in this offense. I mean, just, he would be, it would be ridiculous. So, yeah. And he also uses two running backs at times. Uh, people forget that he, he, I mean, I think that's the most attractive thing about what he does offensively is, um, he does, he figures out a lot of what Bill Belichick, the kind of thing, you know, not style wise at all, but Belichick basically goes, you know, we, and he doesn't have the most talent, but he goes week to week, what can my players do this week to be successful with their skill set? Uh, and I think uh, that's what, uh, you know, what Kingsbury does is he gets them into a situation where 
they can execute, you know, without having to think about it and gives them a lot of options and, uh, and allows them to, to do what they do best. And, uh, I, I think that's, uh, that to me is, is the, the really attractive thing about, uh, his offense. Uh, he started as a quarterback for Mike Leach. I think Mike Leach is pretty much in the same place. He does what he does really well, but that's what he does. I think with Kingsbury, he doesn't do just you know what he uh, you know learned from Mike Leach. He's got more uh, ability to uh, to take uh, what he what his players can do and take what the defense will give you. And so I think he's at a, kind of at another level in terms of uh, his offensive schemes and and the way they'll game plan and all that. I, I, I don't even think we understand after the year we've just gone through uh, what it would be like to have a team that, you know, you're pretty sure they're going to come close to 40 points a game. Uh, that, that's a whole different, you know, world for USC right now. All right. Well, let's, uh, we got some, well, I guess you want to call it. Breaking news. I believe this is the third straight Dan Weber podcast that we've had to drop that, that sound. The breaking news? <laughs> breaking news. Yeah. It's off-season moves. Off-season moves. So we talked about the three assistants that were signed before. One more. There's still one opening left, but one more. Greg Burns. You may remember him. He was around the USC campus back in 2003, 2004. USC and Pete Carroll won a couple of national championships. Greg Burns was the secondary coach at the time. Recently, he was up at Oregon State. He's bounced around a little bit. Um, but now USC announced the the hire. This one didn't go, I think, as smoothly as the other ones. They were, you know, we if you read our war room, we had a bunch of, you know, talk about some of the other uh defensive back coaches that they went after and did not get. But uh, end up landing with with Greg Burns, another Pac-12 guy. Wanted to get your thoughts on that, Dan. Well, I, I found it interesting trying to recall uh, conversations. You know, I was covering them, uh, and you were around. Uh, yeah, I didn't remember much, and was, I posted that on the. I don't remember almost mad. anything. I, I, I mean, let's yeah. face it. Pete Carroll was the defensive coach. He yeah. was, for some of those years, he was a defensive coordinator. He was also a secondary guy. He, you know, that's what he played in college. That's what he coached. That's what he really paid attention to. You didn't pay that much attention to who actually was on the, you know, staff coaching the secondary because it was Pete's secondary. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think, you know, at times we've, you know, kind of wished that there were people around more who could say, this is how you do it, uh, you know, in terms of just things like, you know, the competition at practice, the, 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 you know, the work on turnovers and all those kinds of things that, that USC, uh, you know, did. So, uh, but, uh, but I, I really had trouble, you know, remembering exactly how, uh, you know, Coach Burns, uh, coached and, and and you know it was uh, you know they played it fairly safe on on defense in the secondary uh in those years now he's been in an awful lot of places uh you know since then um and he's an LA guy a Dorsey high guy so that's you know that's that's a good thing and I think the change that needed to be made was made with the uh you know with not bringing maybe 
you know, the secondary coach back. And then, you know, you, you just do the best you can at that point to, um, you know, to replace them. I mean, I think they, they were looking at some interesting, you know, candidates, but, uh, you know, when you give a, you know, an LA guy a chance to come back to, uh, USC who grew up not, you know, far from USC's campus and he's at Oregon state, you know, you, you should be able to get him, uh, to come back. But, uh, I don't know, you know, have a real strong feeling one way or the other about how this all, uh, plays out. He'll be coaching, you know, if Clancy, uh, Pendergast stays, he's another, you know, uh, coordinator whose focus is the secondary, although he's coached linebackers in the NFL. Clancy is more of a hands-on, uh, I think with this, like the safeties, I think more than anything, if, um, if, you know, but I, I don't know, I don't have a, 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 you know, specific, this is exactly what this means for this defense. I, I, I don't, I don't have that sense. Yeah, I, I posted this on the Peristyle where I'm like, yeah, and and you know we it was coverage was a little bit different back then because we were just getting, I think we had practice credentials but not game credentials. There was there was kind of the time where things were switching over for the internet. There was a lot of newspapers covering uh, you know the program and stuff, and it was just kind of switching over to the internet at the time. Um, but I don't I don't have a lot of memories of of Greg Burns, even though he was there for two national championships and someone was like posted on the P got real snippy about it. Like, Oh, that's why I'm like, okay, dude. Like, I mean, that was, that was 14 years ago or whatever, 15 years ago. Um, I don't remember what I had for breakfast, let alone like what that was going on there, but didn't really have like, I, you know, I guess didn't leave, leave, you know, a huge impression on me. Um, I don't, did you have any thoughts on it, Keely? Like, yeah, you know, okay. I was just one other thing. The focus was on the players. I still remember, one of those years where, you know, Coach Burns was here. And I remember it was like maybe one of the first bowl practices in December. And here comes the team, you know, out of, uh, uh, gosh, I guess it was, uh, where were they dressing then? I guess, uh, Heritage. And they're heading to the practice field. I remember standing there and I said, I just saw more All Americans run by me then all the years I covered University of Kentucky football, I said, you know, it was like one team that had like 10 guys that, that earned some sort of uh, All-American honors. And the focus then was really on the players and Pete and maybe Coach Orgeron and, and Coach Shout. But other than that, you didn't pay much attention to the assistant coaches. They just didn't, you know, you had all those All-Americans that you were you know, spending more time talking to you just, uh, the assistant coaches did not get much attention. Yeah. What about you? What do you think? Keely? Um, I'm kind of like Dan and the jury's kind of out right now on this. I thought it was interesting based on uh, our reporting in the war room and whatnot, the type of guy DB's coach that they tried to go for a younger, more recruiting savvy type guy. Uh, but that didn't really work out. So it's just interesting how they landed on Burns. Um, but, until I see what, what he's like in, in practice and whatnot, the jury's kind of out. Yeah. Uh, we'll see. Well, someone had a specific question for me about oh. uh, Greg Burns. So I'm going to play that for you. And then I think there's a question for you too, Dan, but I'll play this for you first and then we'll, uh, we'll move on from there. Hold on. Yes. Hi, this is uh, Richard from Palm Springs. I have a question for both uh, 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 Ryan and uh, Dan. Ryan, I think a couple of weeks ago on your Tunnel Vision show, you said you didn't want any 
coaches or assistant coaches that uh, would be hired by SC to have pre- be at the Pete Carroll tree or know the USC fight song. I'm wondering what your thoughts are with the hire of Greg Burns, who certainly is in that Pete Carroll tree, and I'm sure he knows the USC fight song. And, Dan, I'm wondering with the uh, signing period coming up here on Wednesday, and we still have two assistant coaches that haven't been signed how do you think that's going to impact the recruiting? Uh, as a fan, uh, over the years, I've been uh, really excited by this uh, signing day with five-star recruits or guys that we knew. I don't feel that way this year, and I'm sure I'm not alone. Enjoy your program, and uh, I welcome your comments. Thanks very much. Bye. All right, so I'll do mine first, and then this will be a good uh, segue into kind of talking about the early signing period uh, with Dan. We'll do that. But, yes, if you know my criteria, it's very simple. One, <laughs> Have a coach that's experienced, that's done the job you're hiring them to do. They're good at their job. I think he fits that. I mean, he's done it. I mean, he was, he's been a successful defensive back coach. So I think he fits that criteria. The second one is someone that does not have ties to the USC, someone that doesn't know the fight song. And obviously he does not uh, fit that one. It's a while ago. I mean, it was 15 years ago or whatever. Like, I, you know, that's, I don't think this is an, an attempt to, you know, uh, they, I think they tried to go outside of the coaching tree, so I will give them a pass there, and it just it didn't work. And I, I understand there's some challenges right now because your head coach is really on some sort of a hot seat. It's, it's really, you know, he's embattled, and it's not going to be as easy to make some of these hires. Like there, Something could work out great, like Cliff Kingsbury, but other ones aren't as, you know, I, I heard from people that were talked to about the job or, you know, heard from people close to them, and there's definitely concern. So I get that. So I'm not going to, uh, you know, say this is a really big problem that he coached at USC before it was quite a while ago. And I don't think that that was the only reason, uh, there, I think they went after some other people too. So I will give them a pass on this one. Uh, who, who sent that voicemail in? That was, um, Richard, was Richard, and Lake. Oh, uh, no, he used to be to look like now he's Palm Springs. <laughs> yes, Richard. <Okay. laughs> so that's, that's my answer. Well, and I, I think, if USC wanted to hire some USC guys, there were some pretty high-profile USC uh, ex-USC players who were interested in the job who didn't get it. So, uh, and you know, Greg Burns has been at eight or nine places easily since then. So he's hardly identified as a USC guy. Uh, you know, I don't, I just, I don't, I don't see that. So I think, I think you're that's a good you're point. Safe there. Yeah, that's they yeah. could have done the whole USC thing, former player and stuff like that, and they did not. So I will. That's extra credit that they did. You know, right. I'm not going to knock them. Yeah. Those were available and being pushed hard by some, by people, and that didn't happen. Now, that is that a good thing or a bad thing? I don't know if we know. Uh, you know, there may be you know a situation where people didn't want to be overshadowed by uh, somebody who comes in with a you know, fairly, uh, you know, strong name recognition and uh, playing career and, and all of that kind of thing and NFL background. So, uh, so we'll see how that works out. As far as Richard, I think it makes a good point. And I think it's a point I think we ought to all make. I think we were probably over the years a little too excited about uh, signing days. And USC always would do well. But, you know, I can't overemphasize that USC went into this season with the number four ranked roster in America. 
and didn't make it into one of the 78 teams in a bowl game. So, I mean, you talk about how irrelevant uh, recruiting rankings are for USC. I'm not saying, you know, for almost anybody else, they're pretty, they pretty well track with where they finished. For USC, it's not about recruiting. And, and I, I, I would say I'd like to see recruiting played down. Because and, and this is going to be a class that's not going to have a lot of those five stars. I mean, look at last year's class. You had arguably the number one uh, quarterback coming out of high school football. Uh, you had the number one wide receiver coming out of high school football. You had the number one middle linebacker coming out of high school football. You had the number one athlete slash safety uh, coming out of high school football. So that's four you know, five-star kids that are as good as anybody in the country. I'm not sure uh, just having those rankings gets you where you want to go if you can't figure out how to get them in the game, how to get them, you know, from standing next to you on the sidelines, how to coach them up, how to run an offense that, you know, takes advantage of, of what they can do. So I think, Richard, it's not a bad thing if USC says, tomorrow okay this is a good workman-like team we got numbers and we got a lot of guys who we're going to have to coach them up we got to get them stronger we got to get them faster we got to get them bigger nutrition program's got to work strength and conditioning has got to work and we got to do a better job coaching them up in the spring and in the fall and we haven't done a good enough job there so this is a start but we're not going to make it out like this really means anything because let's face it, compare USC's roster with say Fresno state. Does Fresno state have a single player USC would have recruited, did recruit, would even maybe take. And yet they might right now, I still think they'd probably edge Stanford. Uh, But I think uh, Fresno state two years of Jeff Tedford and company is the best college football program in the state of California. Yeah. And that he had nothing to do with recruiting all to do with coaching. You gotta, you gotta make the right choices. You can't have kids that come in with, you know, a lot of stars and they don't make it, you know, through the first year or they, you know, you know, sees obviously, you know, have those guys. Um, I mean, what would we come up with on this group of four or five year classes put together there's something like 24, 25 guys who would be, if you put them all together, would be the best recruiting class in the country, maybe. And they're all gone. Yeah. So I think you got to, you know, there's some, a lot of things have to happen other than just recruiting them and getting them on, signed on the dotted line. And I think for a while, there's been too much focus on look at how many five stars or look at where we're ranked. Those recruiting rankings mean absolutely zip as USC proved this year. They don't mean zip for Alabama. They don't mean zip maybe, you know, for Georgia or Clemson. But for USC right now, they mean zip. Everything else has got to start happening uh, much more than the recruiting. So, Richard, I'm I'm good if nobody's excited about recruiting (laughs) because that's not where it is. And I know that's probably not our business plan. uh, (laughs) But – 
but yeah, Dan, you know. signing day tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, I mean, I think there's some good points there. To, to be fair, though, they have at least one player, Fresno State, that USC recruited, Micaiah Quick, who was a five star out of Fresno that went to, I think, Oklahoma and then transferred back. Jeff Tedford did a really good job of bringing guys back to the Valley that were other places like the uh, Marcus McMarion coming back from Oregon State. Oregon State had right. like multiple quarterbacks to choose from. Completely chose yeah, the wrong guy. <laughs> they, got, yeah. uh, they got that so wrong. But I, yeah. they, he's done. He's used recruiting well. Where I, I love uh, Tim DeRuiter. Um, you know, I, I think he's doing a really good job at Cal. But yeah. as a, as a head coach, he did not get. He didn't recruit well for Fresno State. He tried to recruit a lot of Texas. And I think he screwed up recruiting, and that's why they were 1-11 before Jeff Tedford took over. You need to recruit to your strengths as a as a program. And the Central Valley, Fresno and Bakersfield, all that stuff, they have a ton of talent up there. So I think Tedford recognized that, brought people back that left the Valley that weren't really recruited by Fresno State, who weren't happy where they were, and he's making it work with those guys. You have to make it work for whatever your school is. And Alabama gets the best players. And makes them good, you know. USC got the best players, and hope they make plays. They don't make them good, but with without, you know, some of the signing day uh, pickups that USC's got, the five star guys like the Adoree Jacksons and the Juju Smith Schusters, like that was on the same day. Like if they don't, those guys don't come, you're losing more games, you know. And and you, but you're, to your point, Danny, you're right. Like USC had all those guys and still couldn't do anything with it this year. Well, you know, the thing that amazes me as I watch this year develop in the NFL, we had no idea how good Juju Smith-Schuster was. No idea, <laughs> none. I still think he could have been a safety. Way, 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 way better than we ever imagined. It's, it's, what happened? I don't know. I mean, we know Adoree was able to just make plays on his own and just grab the ball and run away from people, uh, you know, or jump over people or whatever. But Juju needed kind of, you know, an offense of some sort. Uh, but we had no idea that he could do. When you watch him now, you think, ooh, wow. And we were out there every day at practice. Still didn't know. So, you know, you could look at Juju as a great success in the NFL, and you wish he'd have been a great success at USC. When you look back now, he probably should have been an all, you know, another all, uh, in the line of all Americans. But he kind of just, you know, he had some injuries, obviously. But we, he's doing things now. I don't think we had any idea he was capable of. Someone asked me the other day, do you think if you had Juju Smith-Schuster, Dory Jackson, and Sam Darnold on a different teams, uh, on a different team, would they win a national championship? Oh, what do you think? They'd be it's awful a spicy hard to question. handle. They'd have been hard to handle. They would have been. All you had to do is not stop yourself. I think, in a lot of ways, and and yeah, I mean that's why people look at USC and think, how did they screw that up? You know, I mean, how did that team just get you know crushed by by people, yeah. uh, by good people, by really good teams when they ran into really good programs? They and yet you look at them now and you think, wow, they, they can play for anybody and be really, really good. Yeah, uh, exactly right. Wouldn't that have been nice? Yeah. Um, okay, before we jump into the rest of the questions, Keeley's got more. I think I got one more, too. A couple of orders of business we want to talk about. We, I want to get into the recruiting stuff a little bit, but uh, I wanted to thank Trader Joe's. I want that, uh, this has uh, been a great year uh, with them, and uh, they we're going to 
We talked with them. They're going to extend their uh, partnership with us over the next year. So that should be great. So, yeah. So it's nice. So um, thanks to uh, Trader Joe's. They've been awesome. I just uh, went there. We had to pick up some. If you need some cider, you know, it's kind of my my buddy was running the tree lot across the street from Trader Joe's in Hermosa Beach. He's like, hey, can you go over and pick up some cider? Yeah. Pick up a bunch of cider from over there. Um, They put it up in their little heater thing. So that was pretty cool. So there's a lot of festive stuff at Trader Joe's. You're going to celebrate the holiday. Little knickknacks you could get. Um, the little chocolates I like. There's a lot of cool stuff, but the cider was actually good. I tried that. I don't. I haven't had that one before. Well, I I made my uh, successful holiday uh, purchase of uh, corn pudding. You got the corn uh, pudding only right. at Trader Joe's, uh, and uh, uh, it's just absolutely the best. So I can't recommend it highly, you know, any more highly. So uh, uh, get it before it's all gone. But uh, just an absolutely great dish, and I don't think anybody else. Uh, sells it so anybody else has it so uh, do not miss it if you uh, if you want to try something that's really good for the holidays nice they should just name it dan weber's corn pudding <laughs> john yeah, yeah. buddy john might put in for that we'll see um and also let everyone know so this is we're recording this on tuesday till the end of business on the first day of the early signing period which is wednesday the 19th we're still doing our Buy one, get one free. So if you want to get a membership to uscfootball.com, get a lot of details on everything we talk about here. Read those war rooms every week, all that. If you pay for a month, it's $9.95. You'll get one free. So pretty cool. Take you through the holidays and stuff. And uh, it's it's a great family on the Peristyle. The message board is really interesting. Tons of people posting there. A lot of insider information. All of us, obviously, are posting on there, too. So make sure you check that out. Or buy one, get one free. So to the end of business, uh, so I think it's midnight Pacific time on uh, Wednesday. So make sure you jump in there and get that. And uh, Dan, so to, to your point on recruiting, um, so the early signing periods, if you don't know, uh, it always was the first Wednesday in February. The last couple of years, they've had this early signing period that you thought would be like a auxiliary signing period. It's become the signing period. Most, you know, 90% of the guys, it seems like, are signing in the early signing period. USC has been a team that's done well signing guys late. Even last year, you know, some really big names uh, coming through on signing day. But it's uh, it. this is going to be a different year. And I, I was talking about this with Gerard. Since we started covering recruiting, I, you know, when, when we, were, we were the with rivals starting way back in 2001 with recruiting rankings and stuff, USC has always been up there. The average star rating is always like first or second in the country because – didn't always have the biggest classes in the world. Didn't oversign like some of the other programs, but man, would all this, the average stars there would be like you know four or five stars and like three three stars and the rest four stars. So you would average above a four star. This year could be like the lowest ranked class, depending on how it shakes out. Yeah, potential to be the lowest ranked class like since I've been covering the team. Wow. Um, since since we started, since any kind of rankings occurred. Um, I have to go back and look at all of them, but I don't remember one that, and this has, it's supposed to be a bigger class. Like they want to sign 26, 27, 28, 29 guys. So oversign the class a little bit. Um, so Dan, I think we're going to, we're going to find out a little bit more about, uh, this staff because you might be bringing in a class that there's not three or four instant difference makers. Like we've seen from almost every class that USC has signed. No, I think, I think, I think that's what's needed. I think is the emphasis now has to be, what do you do with them? How do you get them to where you need to get them? How do you work with them? 
How do you develop them? Uh, instead of, oh, wow, they're already there. All we got to do is run them out on the field if we can figure out how to get them out on the field. I mean, you know, so, so I like, I like the idea that this will be more of a, you know, a, you know, a work in progress, which is what I think it should be, you know, anyway. Uh, and it's probably not a surprise that you're not going to get as many five stars, um, as, uh, you know, after five and seven season, if you're a five star kid, you're looking at USC. And first of all, USC's got a lot of talent in place. So if you're a five-star kid and you look at USC and said, wow, what's going on there? They're five and seven. And yet at my position, there's a guy I'm probably not going to be able to beat out. So you get kind of the double whammy, I think, you know, in terms of uh, recruiting this year. And, and I, I think you turn that into a positive. It's not, you know, USC has to figure out how do you turn what, you know, maybe, as you say, the lowest uh, average ranking uh, you know, for recruiting, uh, you know, for the recruits into a positive. How do you turn that into a, something that, you know, is, we're really going to work hard at it. We're not going to, you know, neglect the, uh, you know, young players. We're, you know, we're going to find what, the, what can they do? What do we have to help them do? How do we develop them? I just don't think the player development has been up to speed at all in recent years. Uh, you know, there've been a lot of scrambling just trying to get from week to week, but, um, I just think, you know, the whole change in the culture, I think has to be, how do we develop players better? How do we get them stronger, faster, smarter? You know, how do we get them eating better? How do we, you know, gear programs to, uh, each individual and what they need? You know, do they have enough people working in, uh, the nutrition, uh, part? I mean, that's a good thing. If you really want to compete, there's no limit. They don't put limits on some of those. Uh, it's not like assistant coach positions. You can have a lot of people go to Notre Dame or Michigan or, you know, Alabama or uh, places like that and look at what they do in terms of nutrition. They've got a lot of people working there. And I think USC's got to get themselves there. And we're going to find out, I think, over this winter, does USC really want to compete? And do they want to develop players uh, at the level, you know, that they say they want to? Do they want the culture to be where it is? It, I mean, Alabama not only gets the best players, they have the most people working the hardest at it. I mean, you know, in some ways, you know, that's, that's not fair. Well, no, they're just doing, they're doing what you can do. And USC has to do what they can do. And this would be a good time to start it with this class, I think. The interesting thing for me is with the early signing period now, you kind of get two ways of recruiting. So you don't really get the full scope of the class on the first period of, of the signings. But people tend to make their, their decisions on that first wave. And granted, it's becoming more of the first wave is the official signing day. But, you know, Amara St. Brown, JT Daniels, we didn't know about that until later. Guys like Brew McCoy, they're not going to sign um, in this first wave. So it's interesting how this first round will look. Whereas in a couple, in a month or two, when we see how this class actually shapes up, what it will look like for USC. Well, you know, I think the other thing, it was completely predictable that it was going to go this way. I know people said, oh, it'll just be a first wave, but people, no. Once uh, that's established, the competitive nature of recruiting is such that you're going to want to, you know, push kids and lock them up. And, uh, you know, the big boys, especially that have the, you know, fully developed recruiting staffs and all that, 
are going to take advantage. And you have to, I mean, USC wasn't in any position where, you know, we were hearing, uh, you know, when the early signing day came in, oh, you know, we'll kind of still do our thing and we close. No, you're not. You know, they're not going to let you unless you want to just, you know, get out of the game. Uh, so you don't have much control over that. And anybody who thought you'd be able to, uh, you know, go with the original uh, signing date with most of your uh, focus was that was silly. It wasn't going to happen. Once they, you know, once you got the early date, that's where everybody's going to target. And you may not get everybody then, but, uh, but it had to push everything up. And USC obviously is right there with them, even with maybe not as many people doing the recruiting uh, between the coaches and the, and the uh, recruiting staff. They don't have as many people as a lot of places, yeah. but uh, they're I mean, having to get there. Yeah, that's part of the problem with that is that, you know, people say USC recruits itself. Now, I, I don't agree with that, but USC does have, there's advantages to being at USC that just no matter who the coach is, no matter what, you're probably going to get players that just want to come. And f- to the, their credit, the, the the core group of this recruiting class that's been committed, the 15 guys or whatever, weren't wavering at all. They were sticking around and, you know, they, they want to come to USC. They didn't care which coaches were gone or whatever like that. But if you want to get beyond that, that that's like a baseline that you're not going to get worse than that, no matter what's going on. But when you do have a lot of part-time recruiters on the staff, and that's what, you know, Clay Helton had, and then you don't have good results, those cl- these classes weren't looking that great. The last couple of classes end up being really good, top five classes or whatever, could have been potential disasters if you didn't get those guys to sign late. And you were able to do that by the guys that do recruit full-time putting in extra work, the, the skeleton staff of the recruiting analysts and, and support people that do an amazing job with, with, you know, they do a lot more with less, they're working their butts off and you got the, the coaches that do recruit hard doing that. And you had good results on the field. You had a Rose bowl, and you had a Pac-12 uh, championship, a lot of that stuff had gone away. I mean, you got rid of, you know, T. Martin, who's, a, you know, a great closer. You got rid of Kenichi Udeze um, on the defensive side of the ball. And, you know, it's and, – and not having the full support staff that you should have when you have a down year, I think is what's hurting USC. They were kind of relying on, hey, if everything works well, it's we can we can still get by. You could still get a top five class by, I don't want to say half-assing it, but kind of half-assing it with only half of the coaches working their butts off with a smaller support staff. Well, a lot of things went wrong this year and you went five and seven and now you got to get rid of a couple of your best recruiters. A lot of the stuff, and now you're not going to get the kind of classes that you normally do. So, the thing was, if USC would have done it right and had a huge support staff and had everybody on the staff recruiting well, not just half of them, you could survive a bump like this and maybe not have as big of a dip. They're going to see, I think, a big dip in this class. There's going to be a lot of plan B, plan C kind of guys because they didn't prepare for it. They kind of got by on the USC stuff of it and not, hey, we're going to make sure that we cover, you know, dot all our I's, cross all our T's. They need, like Dan, we know the guys, the Gavin Morris's and their existence. They work their asses off. There's not enough of them. You know, they need help. And you need to have everyone on your staff be recruiting hard. Pete Carroll would never hire an assistant coach that wasn't a good recruiter or at least worked hard at recruiting. There's a lot of, uh, 
there's shortcomings with this staff and with this organization. And when you have a down year, you're seeing more, you're going to pay more of a price this year because you didn't take care of all those other things before. Well, I mean, and, and we talk about you got to, this is a time to show that you're going to do the job in terms of support staff, in terms of strength and conditioning, in terms of nutrition. I think the other place that USC has to step up, and we saw it a little bit, all of a sudden we started seeing these in-home photos of all these USC coaches that were going on in-home visits, and you remembered, you said, I never saw that guy on an in-home visit ever. What's that guy doing in the picture? What's that guy doing in the picture? You can't have a staff where... When a guy shows up for an in-home visit, you say, wow, did he, I don't think I ever saw him on an in-home visit before. Uh, that can't be allowed to, uh, to go forward. And right now, it still looks like there are some issues there. I mean, if you think, if you want to coach in the NFL and you don't want to recruit and you want to have that time off and stay at home, then you can't be coaching at USC. You have to be fully committed. Or how does USC, for example bring in new coaches and say, boy, we really want you to recruit. Oh, and by the way, you got to recruit t- double because the guy who's your boss, he ain't going to recruit or he's only going to recruit when we get him on campus or whatever. Can't do that. I mean, you got to, you got to not, you got to break those hair and that's part of the culture. And if they want to change the culture, that has to change. And uh, we'll see. Uh, we saw little bits of, things that maybe said, well, maybe it's changing a little bit. Uh, the other thing I think is going to be interesting this year, most years, I think USC has had more five-star recruits than the entire rest of the Pac-12 combined, yeah. which was a comment on the Pac-12 e- at least as much as it was on USC. I would think those days are gone in the short term right now. I, I I don't think that's I mean USC may not have a five star right, uh, so uh, uh, that changes things too uh, because basically the Pac-12 couldn't compete with USC at the top end of the recruiting uh, uh, you know competition. USC basically was the one school that could recruit the five star kids. Um, not sure that that's the case anymore, and that's kind of by default as much as anything. But uh, but that's going to be uh, uh, have a, give give you a different look this year. So going into the questions that we have, we you mentioned strength and conditioning. We have a question from Lloyd Caddy who says, "I was wondering, doesn't Helton's job include making sure that the team gets proper strength and and conditioning programs, and they participate in it?" Yeah, I mean, I think. Uh, that's a big part of the job. I would like to have that be uh, almost as much of a part of the job. You know, now that you have someone that you're, you're basically turning the offense over to, um, I would like to see Clay really, really invest uh, the next couple of months in, uh, in, in squaring away uh, what has to happen in strength and conditioning. Do you have to reorganize it? Uh, I just think you need to find, you know, we talk about hiring these assistant coaches. Uh, I, you know, as, as important as Cliff Kingsbury is going to be, and he probably can't be overstated his importance. I think the strength and conditioning boss for football has to be a super coach. He spends more time with the players, more months, more, you know, more 
you know, important time uh, when nobody else is with him. And he has to be a coach. I don't think he can be an administrator. I don't think he can be somebody who has to be figured out all these other things. I think he has to be do nothing but uh, coach him up in terms of strength and conditioning. He's got to be the expert. He's got to push him. He's got to have total control. Uh, and so uh, there are no voluntary workouts. There are no honor system situations and all that. No, you show up and he's got complete control there. And I don't think that's been the case. Uh, so I think that has to change. And I think nutrition just doesn't have enough bodies. They don't have enough, uh, you know, ability to, um, you know, mandate the exact kinds of uh, program every guy's got to be on uh, and, and keep track of it and have it available to them, uh, you know, as many hours as a day. I mean, just find out, you know, what do they do at Alabama? What do they do at Notre Dame? What do they do at Michigan? Uh, well, that's what we're going to do. And, and just say that, you know, say USC is going to do what these other schools do. And they're going to have the same kinds of programs, the same monitoring, the same uh, ability to individually do the diets, you know, for every one of these guys, the same ability to have uh, people there, you know, night and day, uh, you know, for these guys. And uh, you just, you got to do it. I mean, you're either going to compete or you're not. And uh, I think that's, that's where you'd like to see Clay really spend his time in this off season. We have a question from Dan, class of 1962, who says, just a thought about Clay and how he used T. Martin. Why was T. the offensive coordinator and wide receivers coach? It makes far more sense that Cliff is the offensive coordinator and QB coach. That should have been T. as a former QB. As OC, he had to work with Tyson Helton and the grad assistant as QB coaches. Wasn't that dysfunctional for an OC? That is all on the head coaching setup that is coaching the system. Yes. But you had to put your brother somewhere, right? So, you know, I mean, I think those choices were probably short-sighted. If you said, well, what's the place my brother could coach best? Well, you know, who coached the quarterbacks? Or, or uh, you know, Brian Ellis played for, um, you know, Coach Callaway at UAB. Um, and he's a really sharp young guy and played at, uh, you know, coached at Western Uh so he can coach them and we just keep T, you know, coaching the wide receivers. The thought that T was not in the quarterback room with Sam Darnold or with uh, uh, JT is, does make your head explode. The thought that, <laughs> that, that, that that's not happening on a daily basis, just so that, that couldn't be allowed to happen. That's all. It's that simple. And then you wondered during the games, we were always wondering, is there enough, um, communication going on between the quarterbacks and don't they have anybody to talk to? You know, I mean, it was like, it didn't look like USC's communications uh, for the quarterback was maybe up to speed with, uh, with other places that, that you see, but yeah, good point, Dan. Yeah. You could see that T was getting spread thin in all his responsibilities. I mean, I remember he said during the Sam Darnold years, he didn't always have enough time to talk to Darnold before games. And it was like, okay, what? The, like your offensive <laughs> coordinator is supposed to talk to your quarterback. And then you could actually see in the, his last year, the wide receivers production kind of dropped off. The wide receivers skill sets kind of dropped off. And you could see it's just, it's a product of T being spread too thin with too many responsibilities. 
Well, and I think he he kind of naturally filled in, uh, you know, in terms of recruiting in yeah. places where maybe he shouldn't have had to, but he was, uh, you know, stepping in for maybe people who weren't recruiting. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, the the organizational chart didn't exactly work, uh, you know, for this coaching staff. And I think, you know, that that was made clear this year. We had um, – I got a voicemail question. We sure. can play that for you. Okay. Uh, let me play this. Here you go. Hi, guys. This question is for Dan. So despite all the hires and everything that's going on right now with USC, I'm still kind of in I'll believe it when I see it mode. I don't know. I just – it's hard for me to put too much stock into what's going to happen when we haven't even had a practice with the new staff yet. So, you know, I'll probably have more to say on that when spring football starts up, maybe based upon you guys' commentary. But – in the meantime, I, th- I thought it would be interesting to get you guys' perspective on the college football playoffs, uh, you know, something that actually is going to happen, you know, relatively soon. And anyways, I, I don't know. I'm kind of thinking that it's going to be 38 to 20 Clemson over Notre Dame, and then it's going to be 45 to 34 Alabama over OU. Anyways, it'd be interesting to get, to get you guys' thoughts. Fight on, Jason Longhorn Gentry. Yeah. I kind of like those scores. Yeah. On the board, yeah. Those will be entertaining games. Uh, uh, yeah, I think uh, I think the point I would like to make is I think they've got to go to an eight-team playoff. Uh, here they are; they're going to finish up in, in Levi Stadium, and this is the you know in the rotation. This is the chance for the West Coast to get a game, and they got nobody in the game, and nobody potentially in the game. I guess. Uh, Ian Book from Notre Dame is a Northern California guy. So uh, if, if for some reason they got there, I just think they've got to go to the A-team playoffs. They've got to have a representative from every uh, every one of the five uh, Power Five conferences. Is whether you you know Pac-12 actually qualifies as a as a Power Fifth conference? I don't know. Uh, but then you get a chance to get Central Florida in there. Uh, and you get the next two teams, which I'm sure the SEC says, well, that'll be SEC two and SEC three, uh, and put them in there. But you know, you, you'd be have you know Texas and Michigan. High, I mean, let's face it. As bad as we feel about the Pac-12, the uh, Big Ten has missed three straight years. How do you think that goes over Ohio State and and, and Michigan? Uh, I don't know. The problem is one of the voices. Guess who? See if you guys can guess who is. Probably the most prominent voice against an eight-team playoff so far. Uh, the the commissioner of the SEC. No, Nick Saban. He actually, <laughs> he was kind of in, you know, because they've got it so perfect right now, uh, and yet they could, you know, because it might impact their championship game. He right. was kind of well on the one hand, on the other hand. But there is someone. Well, I know who it uh, couldn't be. It couldn't be Larry Scott because the Pac-12 has missed three of the last five years. So he he must be a huge proponent of of an eighteen playoff. He is not. <laughs> he is totally against an eighteen playoff. He is on the record. I hadn't seen this quote till just recently. Uh, before the Pac-12 championship game this year, he came down very much opposed to. Uh, he thinks it's perfect the way it is. Uh, honestly. Uh, read the war room this week. That quote will be in there. Uh, it's unbelievable. Uh, uh, you just think, I can't believe, you know. Uh, so who knows uh, if uh, Larry can shoot it down. But uh, 
I think, you know, the, the one thing the SEC is going to fight a little bit because they control it the way it is now. If it's four teams, they still think they can get two in. They probably will, will have trouble getting three out of eight. So it's like uh, – and, and some of the people are saying, well, if we go to an 18 playoff, you have to also change the fact that people all have to play the same number of conference games. And the SEC doesn't want to do that. They got it fine, eight and then four, uh, you know, teams that they can just, you know, crush for guarantees at home. Uh, but uh, but I think they, they need to do that because uh, if you're at Levi's Stadium for this championship game, it's going to seem kind of, you know, if you're a California person who bought tickets for the game, it's going to seem kind of irrelevant, you know, if you've got, um, you know, um, Clemson playing, let's see, Clemson playing Alabama, I guess we could have Clemson and Alabama. It'd be like, come on, you know. Um, so I think they've got to make it more clearly. Um, uh, you know, the full country is part of uh, of, of the playoffs, yeah. and I think the only way you can do that is with eight teams. And you just go back to eleven games. You don't need to play, uh, you know, twelve games. Uh, and I, I guess you could do eleven in a conference championship, or or keep twelve. Uh, and no conference championship, and you would make the first round, the eight team, uh, the quarterfinals, uh, in in the place of the conference championship games, and you could play those on the uh, on the uh, on the campus of uh, you know the the four top seeded teams, something like that. But uh, uh, I think they got to go to. From what you could tell, this the in the last few weeks, they have to go to it. Because uh, people, uh, I think the Big Ten is going to make the big difference. Ohio State and Michigan, those teams do not want to keep sitting home year after year after year. And they're not going to stand for it. Yeah, three straight years the Big Ten champion did not make it in. But, of course, you know, uh, that's that's a big deal. So we'll see. But thanks, Jason, for that question. What else we got, Keely? We have a question from Dan, class of 1962. Again, uh, he's following up his comment from uh, he from the last podcast. He said, "Can Clay get rid of Clancy and Baxter too?" Um, he says they both talk like they're their own bosses and not working for Clay. They were peers on prior staffs, and Clay does not know how to control them. Clancy's not heavy into recruiting into recruiting and Baxter's waste of scholarships should be a turnoff going into the 2018 season. We were told over and over that the more experienced defense would have to carry the team and it couldn't, they could not get off the field. And so with so many third and long plays, how could a long, how long of a lease should Clay give to them? Well, Dan's been paying attention. I would say that, uh, he, he clearly, uh, uh, reading, uh, what's going on. I mean, uh, it's hard to argue with that. I mean, they've got to, they've got to do better. I mean, uh, uh, you know, you can't keep uh, maybe wasting scholarships on on uh, on kickers, uh, and then having the scholarship, uh, the walk on who beats them out. Um, you got to, you really got to figure out how to get your best players, your best athletes on the field. I mean, if if the freshmen or or if you have two freshmen who are the best tacklers on the team. They have to be on the field. You have to get the defense taught, schemed, game planned in such a way that you can take advantage of what those kids can do. And I don't think that happened this year. And um, it's it's got to start happening. And uh, that's where <clears throat> I think the difference 
<clears throat> and I'll never, you know, compare right now Clay Helton to, let's say, uh, Bear Bryant or John McKay. But those coaches, Bear Bryant, John McKay, their job that they articulated was to coach the coaches. Their job was to get the assistant coaches to coach the game exactly the way they saw it. And that's, you know, that's what they did. And their coaches did that. And I think that has to happen at USC. The head coach has to coach the coaches. And that he's got to have a vision. This is how we do it. This is who we are. This is how we win football games. And if that vision isn't there, it's really hard to coach those coaches that are underneath you because then their vision takes over. And that they do what they do if someone's not saying no. This is what we're doing as a program, as a team. That strong vision has to be there. And, you know, we haven't seen that uh, to this point. Faith, family, and football is nice, but, uh, you know, they're not paying you, you know, nearly $3 million a year to, to be a chaplain. Uh, you know, they, football has to come first. And you have to really understand how football, you know, fits in and, and how, you know, what you do and what your talent can do and what your players can do. Uh, you know, what, what are the advantages that you have? And, and probably, uh, you know, as a West Coast program now, with all the quarterbacks and all the skill people and all the great seven-on-seven programs that they don't have, uh, and a lot of the rest of the country to the extent that they have it here. You probably have to, you know, really tailor your game to the advantages that you have. And then you got to develop it. And I don't, I don't think we've seen that. And, uh, that has to happen, but that has to happen with the head coach having the vision and then having the strength and the ability to coach his coaches. And that's got to start happening. So, Tyler in Sammamish, I believe that's how you say it. Sammamish, Washington, yes. Sammamish, Washington. Isn't uh That's where Max Brown's from. Yeah, Max that's Brown. Brown. Skyline High School. High School. So he's a little distraught because he's excited about the... He wants your advice, Dan, basically. I'm summarizing this. He's excited about Cliff Kingsbury and the, pro- the prospect of his offense. But at the end of the day, he's still... Uh, sad that clay helton is the head coach and he says how excited should i get given that this could be clay helton's last year at usc and then we could start this process all over again next season well i don't know i i mean it's a really hard question i mean i think you definitely should be excited about cliff kingsbury uh i think you know he's he's perfect for the program i mean i'm glad that he wanted to come here uh i think he fits in with the talent that's coming back for next year. Um, and he does so many good things. I do think the thing that they've got to start selling us on is we had, you know, the analysis of, uh, AD Lynn Swan as to all of the things that were wrong with the program and all the things that, that contributed to a culture that had to be changed. Uh, you know, and, and you just list, uh, you know, all of the things that were wrong. And yet, if you, how do you change the culture and all of those issues that produce that five and seven season when you have the same head coach coming back, the same 
defensive coordinator coming back, the same special teams coordinator coming back, the same strength and conditioning program, as far as we know, the same nutrition program. So again, haven't heard any, any changes there. And, uh, under, uh, you know, understaffed, uh, recruiting uh, program. I mean, I think the, the problem USC's got right now is they said they wanted to model themselves after what Notre Dame did two years ago. Well, Notre Dame went through a lot of introspection. I mean, one of the things we got a ton of questions to ask Clay tomorrow, but one of the things you want to know is, uh, Brian Kelly is, is probably not his, you know, normal personality sat down with every single player on that Notre Dame team and interviewed them and wanted to know what are we getting wrong? What aren't we doing right? What are we not, you know, you know, developing here? And, you know, they, they brought in, I think, 17 new staff people, uh, two years ago for Notre Dame. And it's obviously made all the difference in the world. And, uh, you know, they gave the game ball from the USC game to their strength and conditioning coach. Uh, that's how much they thought of him. And in order to get him, they had to let go a, a guy who had been coaching for more than 20 years with uh, Brian Kelly. And it just wasn't working. Uh, I'm not seeing those kinds of hard decisions that are, you know, being made at USC. Um and until we start seeing those kinds of decisions, which say we are going in a different direction uh, for this program, uh, it'll have to be a, a real wait and see uh, attitude, I think, uh, uh, as to can the culture change? Can the same people change the culture? Now, Brian Kelly did. You got to give him credit. He's not the same guy uh, he was a couple of years ago. Uh, and, and good for him, but he also changed almost everybody working for him. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I think Clay's got to change the way he thinks about things, the way he, uh, you know, runs things. He's got to become the boss. I mean, and really the boss. And uh, he got to tell people this is how we're doing it, and it's not up to you. I made the decision. This is how we're doing it. And you, you coaches, this is how we're coaching it. This is how, you know, this is where the discipline, you know, comes in. Um, you know, we're going to listen to everybody, but there's going to be discipline here. And it's not going to be up to, you know, people to kind of determine what they do. For example, if you don't want the players determining what they're going to do on any given play, and maybe I'll do this, and maybe I won't, and maybe i you know, keep my hands in, and maybe I'll grab somebody, blah, blah, blah. Well, the coaches have to do the same thing. You can't have coaches who are saying, you know what? I don't think I need to make that trip. I don't need to make that flight. Man, it's a long way from L.A. Um, no, you've got to, you know, you've got to all be all out. And we haven't seen a program in the last few years that's been all out. They're all in, whatever, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, competing. And that's the only thing that works now. Too many te- I mean, one of the differences between here and, and when Pete was here, people were working harder at it. People were, you know, more programs or putting more dollars and more, you know, everything into the programs. Uh, that wasn't as much the case uh, with Pete when he got here and he figured so many things out and did them right. And USC just rocketed by people. Um, 
probably not as easy to do that now. And yet, if USC does it, they will still be that team. Uh, but they've got to do it. And we, we still haven't seen uh, evidence that they're willing to do that or that they even know that they have to do it. You can't just say, well, Notre Dame, no. It's not that, that Notre Dame did it. It's what did they do? Why did they do it? How did they do it? Uh, the USC has to do that. And, and again, we're not seeing that. From a marketing standpoint alone, I just didn't understand why they had to go specifically with the Notre Dame example because it sets yourself up for a standard that if you don't follow it, you're already set up for criticism. I mean, just now, the Notre Dame standard is you fire everyone. They didn't fire. USC didn't fire everyone. So I don't understand why <laughs> you would set yourself up in those parameters when you, you no one's forcing you to. Yeah. They were desperate. They had to come up with a way to say, we're not going to let Clay go. And the, the, the example they came, because, the, you know, they were playing Notre Dame and everybody at USC pays attention to Notre Dame. And I think it was the one thing they grabbed at and said, well, Notre Dame, they were four days and they didn't let their head coach go. And my guess is we know more about what Notre Dame did than a lot of people at USC even right now know. I'm not sure they understood. I'm not sure anybody who used the Notre Dame example had any clue that uh, Notre Dame changed 17 people on the staff. I, I would guess they had no idea what it meant to say, we're going to go the Notre Dame route. Do they know now? I don't know. Yeah. We'll ask tomorrow, but it certainly doesn't look like they have, uh, I mean, again, the same head coach, the same offense coordinators, I mean, excuse me, same defense coordinator, same special teams coordinator, same strength and conditioning person, same nutrition people, same understaffed uh, recruiting. Does that look like a culture change? No. Mr. Swan? Would you have <laughs> I don't think Mr. Swan's going to be there either. But those are, you know, you would love to be able to ask people who are in a position to, you know, talk about that. Uh, and actually do something about it, what do they mean? Yeah, I don't fun. think we know. Yeah, John Wilner kind of went into that a little bit. I had him on my uh, the podcast of Champions. Uh, was it? What's today? Tuesday? Yeah, yesterday on Monday, if you guys want to yeah. check it out. Just go to Pac-12podcast.com or just look up Podcast of Champions. It's, uh, yeah, when I would, he was like really was itching to talk about USC. We talk about all the Pac-12, but he really wanted to kind of get into that. And, and he specifically brought up Lynn Swan's statement and stuff so yeah he, he's just kind of he's like i can't believe how they should not be that bad like there's just no way like there's he knows there's something broken like you just can't be that bad and that's you know that's where the frustration from usc fans came from there's just no way that program should ever have been looked like they did in 2018 well i mean just the you just want to put it in numbers you have the fourth ranked roster and you didn't make one of the 78 slots for a bowl team, and you're in the Pac-12. That's impossible. That's all. That's impossible. Yeah. You can't be that bad. I mean, you just can't. And yet, there you go. <laughs> I mean. You should not. You cannot. But you were. Um, all right. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up. Nothing else, Keely, right? No, nope, That's it for okay. questions. Dan? I asked them all. 
So don't make it. Yeah. So if you if you sent in a question and Keely didn't ask it, I'm sorry. Let's just she cut it out for whatever reason. No. Stop giving no, the fuel <laughs> to the fire. Just tweet her at Keely is my name. No. Give, give her a follow. Don't follow Shaka. Follow her. She wants to be you. See, I'm helping. Give you a plug. Thank you. That works. Make sure you plug. Uh, we're going to do a Tunnel Vision tomorrow, Wednesday, uh, live show in studio with Gerard Martinez coming in. Ooh. So that should be interesting. All the way from the uh, Inland Empire. Um, from Nevada. <laughs> I think we're going to do, did we talk about six o'clock or? Uh, I would. Uh, you'd we, rather do seven? Yes. Okay. We'll probably do seven o'clock. Yeah, um, mm. There'll be a three o'clock press conference. So Keely and Dan will be down on campus for that. The return of instant analysis. Yeah. Instant analysis. Yeah, will be back. Right. <laughs> um, I probably won't be going. We're, we're only going to see Clay Elton. So I'll let you guys handle clay but uh yeah so look for tomorrow night well, you got to go pick up uh, gerard at the train station right and yeah that, uh... that was so coming in i don't know what time his flight lands um <laughs> we'll stop by the bank and change his money out and stuff and then we'll get <laughs> currency we'll, we'll get him south bay dollars or whatever and uh yeah no but um so he'll be He'll be in studio. So we're going to try to do, we'll probably have multiple people here. We'll maybe switch people out, but do live. It might go for a little while. Just It'll be like a recruiting Palooza. Yeah, just recruiting Palooza. So we, we should have fun tomorrow night. So make sure you check it out. We'll be on YouTube. We'll be on Facebook. We'll be on Periscope. And uh, you can see the links. All of that will be up on uscfootball.com. So uh, should be good. Well, Dan, enjoy your time on campus tomorrow. That'll be great. Can't wait. Yeah. yeah. Fun, fun, I bet fun. they'll be happy to see us. Oh, yeah. It's not like they're avoiding us or anything. Um, or maybe they are. I don't know. Uh, okay. Well, we'll just we'll end on that note. So that's uh, Keely, you're Dan Weber. I'm Ryan Abraham. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. And we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices. Every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.